Welcome to the Iowa Idea Podcast. Join host Matt Arnold for in-depth conversations with artists, designers, entrepreneurs, and civic leaders as he explores how they approach their craft and represent a modern version of the Iowa Idea. This podcast tells the stories of Iowa natives, transplants, and friends who demonstrate the Iowa Idea in the 21st century. Every day I have to learn something new. On this episode of the Iowa Idea Podcast, I'm joined by Justin Topp. Justin is an Iowa native and alum of the University of Iowa, graduating with a degree in biomedical engineering from the College of Engineering in 2000. After a PhD in biochemistry and postdoctoral fellowship in molecular biology, he pursued a career in higher education at liberal arts colleges. Justin taught as an assistant professor at North Park University and associate professor at Gordon College, prior to moving to Endicott College as a professor of biology and bioengineering and an assistant dean of STEM. While there, he managed a team of 40-plus faculty, oversaw 10-plus undergraduate programs, and led the creation of a new program in engineering and bioinformatics. And he worked with the nearby incubator to develop its technology capabilities and promote a startup process. He returned to Iowa in 2019 and works at IDT DNA while consulting with or serving on the Scientific Advisory Board of Biotech Startups. Justin is a natural collaborator with an established multiple partnerships, including Life Sciences Consortium of the North Shore, a novel affiliation of colleges, a research institute lab, a startup incubator lab, and government to promote regional economic and workforce development. Justin enjoys all things Iowa Hawkeyes and longs for a day when ALS can be called a curable disease instead of an underfunded one. Justin asks you to visit the ALS Association Iowa chapter and ALS Therapy Development Institute websites if you feel the same. Links are available in the episode description. We dig into Justin's journey from growing up in Pella, Iowa, spending his high school years in Rockford, Illinois, and pursuing a degree in biomedical engineering and serving as a college professor and administrator, ultimately returning home to Iowa. I appreciate Justin's perspectives on problem solving and collaboration. We mix it up on the importance of generalists and the power of a liberal arts education in the context of STEM and how we might better cultivate curiosity. It was an honor having Justin on the show. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Justin, welcome to the Iowa Idea Podcast. It's an honor to have you here. Thanks so much for joining us. For our uh, listeners, if you don't mind, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure, I'd be happy to. And as you know, but I don't know if your listeners know, I'm a I'm a I'm a huge fan. So uh, I've gotten through about half of them, if not two thirds of them, and really enjoying it. So I'm Justin. Um, I'm Midwesterner, born and raised. Uh, grew up in Iowa for the first ten years of my life. Um, lived in Pella, actually Pella, Iowa, till till I was ten, and uh, which is not a bad town to grow up in. Your, your mom says, "Be be back by dark, right? And you can kind yeah. of ride your bike wherever you want." And then moved to Rockford, where which we have in common, lived there for eight years, and uh, went back to the University of Iowa for college. And um, didn't didn't really have a good plan for what I was going to be when I grew up. My mom's a first generation college student, and um, I was the first to sort of have an interest in science. And I had a great physics teacher in high school who took me aside and said, "Hey, you're good. You know, you should you should you should work in engineering. You're really good at math." So I said, "Okay." So I was an engineering major in Iowa, and I chose biomedical. Uh, in part because Illinois didn't have it and I wanted to go to Iowa and I didn't want to go to the University of Illinois. So um, so I went to Iowa for biomedical engineering and uh, finished a degree there, but figured out pretty fast that, that wasn't, I wasn't going to be an engineer. So I uh, did some research in the College of Medicine uh, seven or 10 buildings ago. The campus has just exploded since I was there in the late 90s. But uh, decided to go get a PhD. So I got a PhD in biochemistry at UT Southwestern Medical Center and um, in biochemistry. So the bio has remained, but uh, engineering and then chemistry. Um, and in the middle of my degree, my, my mentor moved our lab to the Mayo Clinic, which uh, was 
fascinating, right? Because you, we were at a, a real basic science institution in, in Dallas. Then I went to the Mayo Clinic and there's patients everywhere. I mean, you would go to lunch and you would just see patients and it sort of brought it into focus. And I won't go into these little, the work I did there. It might come up later in, in the conversation, but the most important thing that happened there was I met and married my wife, Maida. And so uh, we, got, we got married, we're 17 years now. And um, after my PhD, I did a, a, a couple of short postdocs in molecular genetics and um, RNA splicing, just different areas of, of, yeah. of biochemistry, and uh, decided that I, I wanted to try the teaching route. So um, it took a couple of years to, it's really hard to get you know, a, a faculty position, especially at small liberal arts schools. I think people don't, don't realize how... Um, just how competitive it really is. So I was able to get a position in Chicago and taught for three years and then moved to another college, taught for three years. And then um, I, I'm interested in the big picture and I'm interested in sort of my idea of a, the best day of work would be um, controlled chaos, right? I, I like learning new things. Um, I really like problem solving and so, the idea of moving into administration was attractive to me. I, I wouldn't recommend it after six years to anyone else. You said, I know, or you said your spouse just jumped in, but six years was kind of fast to move over, but I, I became an assistant dean. And so I spent five years uh, overseeing all the STEM programs at a college and built some programs and had a wonderful time, but got burned out and um, looked at sort of the trajectory if I could certainly move up in a college presidency I thought about, you know, but it just was, it's uh, just didn't, didn't think that I had to do it. And so we decided to kind of th to, to, to go throw a curveball and we decided to come back home and home is Iowa. So two years ago, about six months before the pandemic, my, my family, wife, and now three daughters, uh, we, we moved back to Iowa for, to be around family and, uh, I left, I left higher ed and got a job in industry and um, had, was crazy enough to think that uh, after having been out in New England, so I was in New England for the last eight years where if you don't know what to do with your life, you start a biotech company. I mean, that's legitimately what people do. They just like, there are startups everywhere. We, we were a college with 3000 students and we had an incubator space on our campus for startups. There was just, they were everywhere. And so I had this kind of crazy idea that I'd come back and get a job in industry. And you know what, if it didn't work out, I'd start my own company. And um, I haven't done that yet, but I certainly on the side have, have done some consulting and things in the biotech space. So now I work at IDT, Integrated DNA Technologies, wonderful company, uh, played a great role in the COVID response with, uh, we were um, one of the first to, to work with the CDC on, um, diagnostics. I mean, they contacted us. And so we're really proud of those efforts that we did last year and continue to do with the Delta variant. So, so that was a very long winded. That's no, that's great. I want introduction to Justin. <laughs> yeah. I want to dig in too on a please, few things. Please. So let's just go all the way back to, to Pella. I have, what was it? Get a vision in my head of, uh, either windows or tulips or both windows. Did, yeah. Did it you was did windows? You, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So my mom, my mom, um, uh, so my parents got divorced when I was one. So, and she actually was single mom, no college education at the time. I think she'd had, maybe she had a year, she had had a year of college. And so she put herself through, um, there's pictures of me hanging out with my uncle at the dorms. Like he would babysit me while she was in, in classes. And he used to tell me to, run up to people down the hall and say, daddy, daddy. And cause he thought that was funny. <laughs> yeah, she's is a funny. Funny. It is funny. It, 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 it's funny. My mom didn't, when I did it once when she was there and I did it to a guy at the grocery store, but um, <laughs> it, uh, no, she's a really American success story. I mean, she put herself through college and she, but she, yeah, she started at roll screen. So the home, the home of Pella windows and she retired with Pella windows a couple, about a year or two years ago, she, just moved with stayed with the same company, but moved around in different roles. So uh, windows, but I, I did march in the tulip time parade in wooden clogs and the whole, you know, the hundred degrees and the black the robes and all of those things. Yeah. Right so. on. So uh, then jumping to uh, also, you mentioned Rockford, Illinois. So uh, did your mom lose a bet? How did you end up in Rockford? <laughs> she has a son with asthma. So we actually, it was funny. We were, she, so she did, she chose to take the job, but we were thinking about moving to Atlanta instead. Uh, 
and we went down there and at the time it just that I, I don't know it was humidity or whatever I had really bad asthma as a kid and I couldn't breathe like we would we hadn't visited and I just was miserable and so she knew she wanted to do to you know to advance in her career she would need to move from Pella and so Rockford was the other choice to be honest and then we moved there and I'll be honest like she she's still to this day she's like man, you and your asthma, it could have been, I mean, like, I mean, she says it nicely, but like she, as you've said, you know, in the podcast before, it's a failed factory talent and she was there after it failed, you know? And so it was, you know, for her, the job was fine, but like, it just was, the community was not a great one. And she was looking to get out as soon as she could. But by that, you know, after a few years, I was in high school and we just, we just stayed. And then, um, the, the year I started at Iowa for college, she left, and my dad, who who had also moved there, left as well. They 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 left Rockford right after I was out. Yeah. Uh, what high school did you go to? What's a Guilford? Okay, a Viking. I'm a Viking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or I was, I guess. I haven't been back for a reunion yet. So no, I, yeah, I, I, w- I was an Erab, East Red. Yes, you Black. went to East. Yeah, I remember we talked about that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And like, it's, you know, it's when you look back at the history of Rockford is turns out about roughly when I was born and right. Correlation isn't causation, but that's when this, the city started to decline, but it used to be like a a Midwestern middle-class kind of wet dream, right? It was that a single breadwinner could provide for an entire household. And at time college was a lot more affordable. So you could, you could help your kids step up. But in the 70s, those jobs started to go away and they don't come back. Right. And yeah. and uh, so I might have shared this on the podcast or and you and I might have talked about this, but it was something that hit me hard. Even even as a teenager, I recognized the, the problematic statement. But when uh, Bush senior was running for president and he was talking about jobs, he said he didn't care if it was potato chips or microchips. But the, and I'm like, no, there's there's actually a big difference, right? Yeah. And yeah. and 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 Rockford, I know, and they've made other attempts, but the, the like, how do you pivot and how do you like leverage some of your superpowers? They just weren't able to do that. And as that the both a furniture industry and small uh, small fasteners, right? Screw city. But as, as those jobs went away, the the community wasn't ready to shift. And I. Mean, I- I feel Decades like I later, count, they're still struggling. I can kind of like one hand the people that stayed, right? Most of the people in my graduating class left. A lot of went to Chicago, right? But there there weren't a lot of people that that stayed, you know. And um, and I I'll say just sort of personally for me, you know, with so we moved a few times, you know, as as as, as a child, like living there and then having my parents leave, yeah, like, right as I graduate it was sort of, I was like, where's home? You know, I knew it wasn't there. Right. Because, because my parents had left and and I knew it wasn't there for them either. Right. But it is, it's interesting. I mean, it's, it's an exporter, right. It is not an importer. That's for sure. So where, so when you, when you uh, then enrolled at Iowa and starting out your freshman year, if you returned home where, where was that then where, where so were I, they were there the first year so okay. so i would go back and i think so my mom put her home on the market like maybe the next spring or something and i think my dad was the year after that so it okay. was it was they might have been there a couple years actually i think my dad was right after i graduated but okay. my mom left while i was you know during my four years there yeah yeah and so you started out at Iowa. Uh, this might be a little insider baseball for some listeners. Uh, what dorm did you go to? I was in Burge my first year. And true story, I got written up for playing loud music by an RA from Courier. My music was so loud that the dorm across the road, they wrote, and then I lived in Courier my sophomore year. Yeah, and then it was apartments junior and senior year. Yeah, I, yeah, I started out in Courier. Uh, then moved over into Burge with a, actually a good, uh, a really close friend of mine from high school. And our our life has brought us back to Iowa again. We did undergrad together, mm-hmm. uh, but we weren't living together our freshman year. And at the end of the first semester, this is when Burge still had triples. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Right? And so we're like, hey, we could room together. Let's just find a, find a double where maybe both people left or a triple or two people. 
the logic, as I say it, is already flawed, right? Like, let's go find a triple where one asshole is so bad, makes two other people leave. <laughs> that brought us to the 4300s of Burge. And yeah, well, we are got, you serious? I think I yeah. was 44. Like, I was like right there. Yeah, we, I, you know, we love, but we overall, we love, we loved it and stuck around our sophomore year and, and, um, university population declined a little bit. So they had turned those triples into doubles for a while. We actually had the same, the same room. And, uh, my friend's parents, uh, their business was a, uh, interior decorating shop. So we had like, uh, this like high end leftover carpet and we had like some old furniture that <laughs> ah. we put in and we had a fake fireplace in our dorm room. Wow. You were bougie. Yeah, we, we, we were. And, and the irony was most, most people on the floor thought we were a couple because it was, it was such a well-decorated room. Man, those were the days. Like we, I, I remember, so, so I too moved into a triple with a friend. Um, and uh, those are the days you could like smoke in your dorm room. Like if everyone agreed to it, it was so ridiculous. Like if, if everyone was okay. And so we, we, you know, I, said five minutes ago i had really bad asthma but yeah you know, it didn't stop me from smoking in college because smart engineers are smart and right. so i i we i moved in with 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 my friends so that we could have this smoking room and then like everyone on the hall used it as their smoking room like it was just it was this den of cigarette smoke it didn't even matter if you washed your clothes like it was just like immediately it's like when homer on the simpsons shaves yeah and the hair immediately comes back it's like that <laughs> So anyways, yeah, it was advice. Don't have a smoking room in college. It's one of the pieces of advice I'll share. It's uh, that, that advice seems parallel to a friend of mine who uh, ha he has a couple boats and he loves sailing, but his advice to everybody is don't own a boat. Just no, you want to become be friends with someone who has a boat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> don't yeah. have a smoking room. Just be a friend with somebody. Exactly. Who has a smoking room. exactly. So um so with, uh, and, and I'm just, I'm throwing all my ignorance on, on the table here. Uh, but, uh, so your, your major was biochemical engineering. Am I, am I getting, am I Bi getting biomedical? It? Yeah. Bi biomedical. Okay. All right. What, what was, what was the, cause sometimes when I hear multiple words like that, I'm, it was, it, was it more biological sciences that were drawing you? Was it more medical? What was, what brought you into into yeah. that major I, I mean it legitimately was i was uh, i had a physics teacher who said I, I mean it i was good at engineering i mean so i we didn't or he thought i'd be he thought i'd be a good engineer because i was really good at physics and math and just to take a step back so you know i, I said my mom was really really an american success story there wasn't a lot of talk at home about what is justin going to be when he grows up it was definitely you're going to go to college you're going to get an education you're going to do well. But, you know, she, if you think of her circumstances with going to college, she did, it was a necessity for her. Right. And so I think for, you know, it was, it was less, what do you want to do? And it was more, you're going to do it. You're going to get a degree and um, engineering you know, it's respected. Right. I think if, you know, I could have potentially chosen a major that she wouldn't have liked, you know, and maybe, but like, it was, it was certainly, there wasn't a lot of thought put into it. I'm just going to be honest. Um, and so uh, the biomedical came in part because I, I liked biology. Uh, I hadn't taken a lot of it in high school, but I liked the idea of it. And truthfully, it was a newer kind of discipline, right? So at, at the time, and so I liked the idea that it was sort of new and it was innovative. At the time, it was the smallest engineering major in Iowa. And now it's the largest, right? So at the time, at the when it when I went in the late '90s, it was you took sort of like the introductory to everything else, and I think now in retrospect, with hindsight, knowing that I'm a generalist, even though I have this very highly specialized trainings, I'm a proponent of range. I, I I'm a generalist at heart. Maybe the reason I chose it was because you got to do a little bit of everything in. Right. So you took a little bit of electrical, a little bit of chemical, a little bit. You know, you had to learn how to program and things like that. So. I don't, I don't know that at, at the time there was like a list of these are the reasons why I want to do it. Maybe subconsciously it was, I liked the breadth, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I looking looking back at my experience at Iowa, one, one of the things I do appreciate. So, and I was, I was going through more a liberal arts track, but uh, 
I'm, I'm for me, I'm a big believer in those gen ed requirements did help you kind of sift through like, I'm attracted to this. I like this. This doesn't, <laughs> this doesn't feel good. <laughs> it hurts when I do that. I don't want to do more of that. <laughs> Uh, or it this hurts, but I'm really fascinated by it, so I want to go deeper in that area. For me, that was that was golden uh, in 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 my time at Iowa. Um, challenge though for me is uh, from a from a guidance counselor standpoint, like there there was really no guidance early on. I think also part of it felt like the ninja school of survival. Like we'll throw you out in the forest, and if you survive, <laughs> we'll let you do more. But uh, but having that that almost buffet of things early, I thought was really interesting to see what what was attractive. Yeah, I, I really, you know, and so being I was in the College of Engineering where the average, you know, four years was not the average to get a degree. It was longer than that to get an undergraduate degree. Right. And even if you came in because there was so many requirements in, yep. in the major. And so. I joke that I took like four classes that didn't require a calculator or, you know, word in science. And, and so for me, it was grad school, you know, when, and, 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 you know, in theory, you're specializing even, even specializing even more, but I met all these people that had degrees from liberal arts colleges. And I was like, wow, philosophy, what's that? I mean, I took, we've talked about, I took quest for human destiny one and two. I took two classes in sociology because I heard they were easy. I mean, legit, that's why I yeah. chose them. I'm not, I'm not saying they are, but that was why I chose them. Okay. I got to get the GPA and a rhetoric class. That's yeah, and, it. I don't remember anything that wasn't science and math beyond that. Right. And, and rhetoric was required. Rhetoric was required. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for I, all, I, for all majors. I still yeah. think that is a brilliant thing that Iowa does. Yeah. Right. So for well, folks listening, rhetoric, uh, it sounds just like speed, but it, it's actually to focus students on critical reading, writing, and speaking so that you can deconstruct arguments, make your own argument, whether it's verbal or written. And fr frankly, the time I've spent in business, there's more people that need rhetoric yes. courses. So I, I, I give Iowa kudos for, for making that part of the gen ed requirement. Yeah. So, so that's where I'm going. So, you know, I got to grad school and I realized there are all these other disciplines and I just started reading voraciously. So philosophy, religion, um, I was really interested in how science interacted with other disciplines. I'd been so focused on science and math and um, decided that when I taught, it was going to be at a liberal arts college, right? Partially so I could via osmosis get a, get a second chance, yeah. <laughs> but also so that when I recruited students, I could, you know, really, I really believe in the humanities and their importance to the world, let alone people that work in the technology space. And so I, um, in my, in my last gig, you know, when, as when overseeing those programs, like I would, I would get these students, yeah, I got to take this class. It's like, it's a gift that you get to take creative writing. And they'd be like, what? I go, think about it. You look like every other student, your application, you've got these same classes that everyone takes. And then I see, oh, you were a history minor. Oh, you had a creative writing minor. That's interesting. Tell me about it, right? So it, it it's a foot in the door, but it also gets you to think in a, in a in a different way. And so, I actually um, I strongly encourage my STEM majors to get humanities minors. Um, at least you know. So yeah. that that's even another focus. But you had to take certain general education electives, and I would I would tell them use those as gifts, not as requirements. And then, you know, if you can find something that you're also interested in, do the minor. I mean, that it's just more modes of thinking that, that you can get used to are, you know, are going to make you more innovative. They're, they're going to make your life more enjoyable. Just, just, but in terms of like work, uh, you know, they're going to make you more innovative. You're going to be able to think across systems a little bit better, I think. So yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, because uh, my my friend Noah, who we went to high school with, and he runs a research lab in the College of Medicine here. Um, prior prior to COVID, uh, it was a regular kind of uh, appointment that we had that on Fridays we we would meet at the mill, uh, and sometimes people more from you know my my design background and. And from him, like other like microbiology researchers, but we'd have fascinating conversations too about, um, you know, like uh, from from my gig, how do how do I make other designers better designers? And right, and from his working with postdocs and PhD candidates, how 
how do you help them, mm-hmm. you know, become better researchers? And one of the big things that we were sharing was how do you ask more interesting questions and what are more worthwhile questions? And we've had some, some great conversations about like a, an overlap of uh, science and design where the domains are completely different, but, you know, kind of like the, the deeper principles seem really similar on how are we, how are we asking good questions? Why, why are these things interesting? How are you going to solve for this? Right? And how are you going to test prototype experiment? And sometimes if you took the labels away, you might not know if you're doing right, a microbiology experiment or if you're, you're doing a new design experiment, but yeah, we, we loved like that kind of crossover between uh, basically kind of a, a liberal arts approach and a, in a hard science approach painting with broad strokes, but. Yeah. I mean, the humanity is sort of, again, painting with broad strokes, as you said, the humanities make you really good thinker. I mean, make, the humanities, studying the humanities make you a better thinker and a better writer. And those are skills that transfer to pretty much anything that, that you would want to do. Right. Um, I mean, and, and I used, to, again, I was recruiting for STEM, you know, selling prospective students on STEM majors, but I would throw in the humanities all the time. And I just be like, you know, look at, look at all these major companies, look at the person who's running them. Sometimes it's the CTO, but it's often not. It's often someone who has a humanities background, maybe a business background, but they can put things into context a little bit better and maybe ask the question of, of should we versus can we? Yeah. And that's an important question. Right. So I want to back up to Quest a little bit. So you were at Iowa a few years after Iowa. So um, just the, well, I'll tell you what was one of the more interesting things for me on Quest was, um, so when I started out at the University of Iowa, um, I, I was not in the honors program. And then somebody in the communication department said, everything that you are doing, you should be in the honors program. So with a little, then I was in the honors program and I, then I got myself kicked out of the honors program at Iowa, <laughs> but there was an early, it was before I took quest, the honors program had, a, it, and I wish I would have even appreciated this more, right. But you know, you think like you're 19 years old. I went and sat with like 15 other students, uh, to watch Blade Runner with Jay Holstein mm-hmm. and talk through. And then that got me hooked. And then I was trying to get into quest. But it took until my junior year where like schedule and, and seating yeah. capacity would line up because, right, you have to work your way up the pecking order, right, to pick your classes. And yeah, and then I had it. And that the semester I took it, uh, Jay, uh, you know, showed what we're going through, what books we're reading, what movies and Blade Runner wasn't on the list. And oh. uh, <laughs> I, like indignantly, I confronted him. <laughs> Uh, yeah. on the Pentecrest was just basically what gives. And to this day, I just appreciate so much about that man's intellect and his integrity is what he had told me is I heard there's a director's cut coming out. So I don't know if that narrative is faithful to what, right. So he had That's built awesome. a lot of the class on that. So I'm curious, was Blade Runner back in the, in the class? I, I yes. Blade Runner was in the class. Um, and you know, so I, as an educator, I, I, I look back to that class, you know, that, that was like, he was, it was just a masterpiece in education. Right. And I mean, he, <clears throat> so I, I was no, so I, I was a good professor. I wasn't a, a, who was a Holstein professor, but I was good. Yeah. Right. And uh, I was known for going off the cuff and, yeah, it's smaller blood. Their class is a 30. You get to know, you may teach them three, four, five times. You get to know them pretty intimately. And so, yeah, I'd share details and, you know, of my life. And I was known on going off on tangents. They always connected. There was triggers and things right. like that. And I think students thought it was completely random. Like, would he say it that day? But the reality is, no, there were these triggers. The story might change a little bit. But if you go back to Holstein, it seemed like he was ad-libbing up there. And I'm not saying there were times when he, he wasn't, but there was a purpose to it, Right. And so like, like even, even now, like I would go off on these tangents and it'd be like, they're going to get inflammation now, right? Like they're not going to forget this story in which I, in which I explained to them how I'm a horrible husband uh, because they're going to, they're going to have this other connection. It's going to stick out. Right. And Holstein, I remember the first day of class, he goes, what if I wanted to teach you to be humanist, to be effed. Right. And we were like, whoa, he's swearing. 
but yeah. no, there was, it was so much deeper. Like he was, he legitimately constructed the classes. And when I didn't get it, till I was an educator. Right. Yeah. And uh, so, so I, you know, again, it was, I was, I was a freshman actually, when I took it, I think we engineers were pretty high in the pecking order. <laughs> sorry, sorry about that. But, yeah. but it was great. I'm glad I got to take it when I was a freshman because then I got to take the follow-up and things like that. No, he was, he was brilliant, but also just a great educator in the way he laid things out, you know, both in the moment, but also behind the scenes. Like you're saying, he's thinking about a syllabus and a director's cut. How many, how many people, do, a lot of people just reuse the syllabus from the previous year, right? So Yeah. And that's some of the lore that I've heard about is that uh, he revisited the syllabus every year. So he wasn't, he wasn't on autopilot. And I just appreciate again, the intellect and the passion. And, you know, I adjunct one class, but periodically I'm like, oh man, I I wish I could inspire these students the way like the, or like, just, even if it's not inspiring, just like, you know, get the students to like for their, their brain to almost break for a second because they're thinking about something a way they haven't before. Right. Just to like open up the potential and, yeah, Jay, Jay was Jay was amazing, and I think it was honestly, I I think it was one of the more difficult classes. The content was yeah. I love, but I mean, from a it was you you couldn't go on autopilot, and and for me, you know, I was a, I was a really good student, but you know, a lot of a lot of that today, you know, to that point, it was you're just you're just listening to things, you spit out the answers, and you you yeah. know how to construct short answers, essays, and papers too, if you have to bullshit your way through something, but. Uh, Jay's class didn't allow for bullshit, right? It was really disciplined thinking. My oldest is in, middle, is in junior high, sorry, I say yeah. middle school, and she corrects me. It's yeah. junior high, dad, she's in seventh grade. And she, um, she's got a teacher, so you know, she just got her first like nine teachers or whatever, so she's right. going back and forth. And she, she's been coming home, like, oh, this teacher is so cool. And she's telling me about this one teacher who, you know, does all these cool things and sets the mood. And I was like, I looked at my wife and I said, that teacher is going to push her, yeah. you know, cause like, like student, I don't know if students get it, but like, there's a reason you set the atmosphere in a way because you can get more out of the student if you get them to buy into what, to what, to what you're doing. Right. And so Jay had this like presence on stage. Right. I mean, it was McBride. He would he'd do the stage, but like he got, like you respected him. He so he could work your tail off. Yep. Right. Yep. And so I'm already like, I'm already my seventh grader. She's like, it's already going to happen. And, First time she had homework, that teacher, right? Like there, it's mood setting. It's getting them excited, and then you can lay the law and get them to work hard. So, I, I don't know that I'd put that together that Jay did that, but he did. You know. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty phenomenal. Um, so, want to want to talk to you about so some of your your path to going going heavy, kind of like deep into an engineering program, and then getting some liberal arts spending more more time in a small liberal arts school but then then moving away i'm just kind of curious on um is is there is there a theme that you can see on what what is attracting you that's that's pulling you through like you're testing this okay there's something over here wait that's not quite it but in retrospect right now are there is there kind of a shiny object is not the right word because i don't mean it to be but is there like a lure that's drawing you towards something that that you're able to articulate now yeah um i i think that's a great question i and and one of the pieces of advice i I would get you know i i would always tell students is run towards something that towards something not away from something and right because i think i i was a professor with a you know phd and a family before i thought about what i wanted to be when i grew up you know and I, i i think back to you know I, I loved your podcast with Andy. So I'm going to bring it up multiple times, yeah. but like just that he worked for three years so he could travel for, I mean, it just was, it, you know, like you, if you, it's so expands your horizons. And I, where I, I did my high school, I went straight to college, straight to my PhD. I was 27, with my PhD, you know, before I knew it, I had, you know, and had a career. So I think, I think it, in retrospect, I was making a lot of decisions where I could go left or right. I chose right. You know, it wasn't like there was this destination in the future that I was building a path to, to get to. Right. And, uh, you know, and maybe that's, that's okay. It, it certainly was, was, was what I had done. 
And, um, I had, you know, I'd been in my previous role for five years and I, you know, I, I'd started as an assistant dean at 36, which is pretty young. Um, and I was like, do I want three more decades of this? Right. And I started to then think, okay, what's going to be the next steps. All right. I could do this for three decades for sure, but probably not. Yeah. Right. And so what I, what I had decided was that the parts of my life that I had enjoyed the most were building new things, always with other people, always collaborative, always with other people, right? And so I thought, well, that feels entrepreneurial. You know, we had a center for entrepreneurship. I worked with them a little bit, um, you know, in, in my previous life. And I thought, well, if I like building new things, maybe I'll start my own company. Right. I mean, I, my, my background in the biotech space, and again, everyone's starting them out there. So like, it was like, maybe I'll do that. But I thought, you know, I, I want to do it back home. And, and I don't, I don't know if it was, if it's like Iowa chip on the shoulder thing, but like, I didn't want to do another company out in New England where there's so many of them. I just, I had this desire to do it back home and to, I don't know, just, just, to, um, just to show graduates and show my family and show my kids that you could do it here, right? You don't have to flee to Silicon Valley or flee to, flee to Boston or flee to Austin or whatever to do it. Now, that's a little bit impulsive, I think, in the sense, I mean, I, I know that being out in New England and seeing all these startups that had happened, I knew that there was, there was a little bit of special sauce, but not anything different in the people. Yeah. Right. And I think that's what I really liked about what your podcast with Andy is. He talks a little bit about how you um, craft this sauce for different, different communities. Right. And so I thought, you know, I'm going to go back home. We're going to do it here. And so um, what, what was the thread that was sort of pulling this all together is I, every day I have to learn something new. If I don't, I go look for the next job. So every day I have to learn something new, but also I want to build things and collaborate with people to do things that I can't do on my own. And so in New England, it was, I was in higher ed, I was building um, organizations that were cross-institutional at IDT. It's, you know, I'm, I'm working with customers, we're doing some, I'm doing some product development. And on the side, I, you know, I do some consulting in the biotech space, but I feel like right now it's all sort of gathering intel for, you know, what the next stage of my life is, is going to be, right? So um, is, there, is there a common thread learning every day, you know, new challenges, new problem solving, we're getting groups to do things that maybe they didn't think they could do. But this current phase of my life is, is more learning, acquiring information. I mean, there's a lot of people that start companies that have, I mean, especially in, you know, in, in academia, you co-found a company you've never worked in business your whole life, right? And so I thought I'm going to get some industry experience while some ideas, ideas that I have for my own businesses ruminate in my head. So there's all, you know, what are the various pieces you need, you know, to make an ecosystem or business work? Where are we deficient here? Where am I deficient? Start to acquire those connections and then sort of decide what to do. So um, I, that was a very long-winded and not great answer to your question, I think. I think, as you can see, I definitely am one that, I, I, I live in the moment for sure. And I want to learn new things each day, but there is, and then I sort of explain retrospectively yeah. where, where it was going. Um, I, th I think it, you know, going back to Andy's point, like you talked, you guys talked about the uh, Darwin's book and, and how you could see, I think it was even not Einstein, but it was Newton. You can see the ruminations of things. If you go through their diary and then later it makes sense. I'm yeah. ruminating. I'm ruminating right now. Right. I, I think that's where I'm at. <laughs> well, I know, too, one of the interesting things, because like, I, you know, one of the areas I uh, like to, to play in is um, com with just complex adaptive systems. And for me, that's like where the innovation and problem solving comes in. But what's interesting, like if you are you familiar with the Kneffen framework from uh, David Snowden? No, he he walks through like four different categories of problems. The first one the name keeps changing because I think too many people get offended by it. I think at one time it was called uh, simple and then people like there are no simple, but it was like simple. Yeah. Um, and I think you might call it obvious now, but that's where like the problem and the solution are obvious and there are actually best practices to solve those and they can be done in predictable time. Then you move to a complicated 
where yeah we it, it requires some analysis but we we can get there and there are uh good practices you might not have best practices but then when you move into a complex space and then ultimately chaotic but chaotic is chaos but in the complex space and complex adaptive is uh one of the descriptions there is that uh one there there are no best practices there's only emerging or promising practices and uh it is really only clear in hindsight right and so to your point like when you talk about these ruminate and then you look back it's like oh these threads and i yeah. feel like i've talked to friends about this in the innovation design space there are times where there were just really gnarly problems we were working on and you're banging your head against the wall and then after a while you get to a solution and you're excited, but you're also kind of pissed off because you're like, oh, it was sitting there all long, right? But it, <laughs> yeah, it's in yeah. that hindsight that that clarity comes from. And and so I'm kind of hearing some of that from you is like these complex adaptive spaces are really exciting, but they're hard they're hard to explain while you're in it. But when you reflect yeah. back, you can see these patterns. I think that's safe to say. I mean, there were certain... Um... I mean, there, there there were good rational reasons to leave higher ed when I did, right? I mean, I, I um, I've got a friend in the ed tech space, Mark Salisbury, and we talk about this quite. He's president uh, CEO of Tuition Fit, Iowa, Iowa startup, and I mean, it's just sort of ripe for for change right now, right? I mean, the it's so, tu- I mean, for small liberal arts schools, it's so tuition driven, and it's very like if you lose your, it's just it's very stressful time. Yeah, and higher ed is very slow and resistant to change, right? So, I viewed my exit from higher ed to industry as not necessarily being permanent or irreversible. I thought I might be able to go back, but the colleges that are run well are run like businesses. I hate to say it. And, and so I wanted to get some business experience so that I could then take that back. I mean, you know, often we promote the nice person who was good at getting along with faculty, but has no idea how to deal with budget. Like it's just, it's, it's, it's an area that we could have a long conversation about the inefficiencies and how colleges can be poorly run. And so I thought, well, I see that. I didn't see that in the institution I was at, we, we had, we were actually run really well. But I see it as a problem in, in the space overall. Let me take hit the pause button, go to this next season of my life, yeah. and then maybe come back. I'll certainly come back with a better, a broader perspective, right? And uh, maybe, maybe I don't. It, you know, it's it's. I will also say that um, in, in my last my last role, the president died in office, and um, he he was sick. We didn't we didn't really know, and. Um, I was definitely on this like treadmill where I was, you know, and he was grooming me for in sorts. I mean, he wasn't, he didn't have hand selected me or anything to replace, nothing like that, but like he was looking out for me and had plans for me and things like that. And, um, I, I went, I went to his funeral, you know, obviously he passed, you know, and, and it was his public funeral. And there was one mention of him, not as a college president at this funeral. And it was thanking his wife for loaning him to the college. I'm 41 years old when this happens and I go home and I said, that's not going to be me, you know? And so a big part of this change and coming back and going to industry was a life change was rather than moving my family across the country from one place to another to be the next Dean, 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 what's the best for my family and I'll figure it out career wise. Right. And so again, I know that's not, that's not, um, strong design thinking or, or really well planned or really well thought out, but there's rational reasons to why, you know, what, why, right, right. why we have done these things. I will say, I also, I've been reading a lot of Nassim Nicholas Taleb's works lately and fooled by randomness, the black swan anti-fragile. And so yeah, yeah. this idea that things are way more random than we think is quite prominent in my mind right now. So, and I think, I think that's also why in hindsight, things make more sense because we're pattern predicting people and, and we, you know, we, we know the end result. We see these data points, we can figure out how to make the story, the story work, but sometimes in the middle of it, it's just life, right? You, you just, you just live in life or doing what's best for your family. And, uh, you know, uh, you, you embrace the randomness a little bit. <laughs> 
Thank you. Uh, backing up a little bit, just one theme that I've been interested in from career arcs for people, and in in the background, it's one of my one of my general hunches is whether it's students getting into college, whether it's employees and organizations, is um, we could just do so much better with goodness of fit, right? Like like here here's here's the the skills and talent this this individual actor has. And here's here's what the system needs, right? And we're just not very we're not efficient at all uh, in in that. Uh, and somewhat related to is uh, when you were describing part of your transition and just thinking about uh, my wife's experience too. And the, there's nothing good nor bad in this, but but when you go into administration, you're you're completely shifting gears, right? So your 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 research interests, your teaching. Uh, those are different. Right? You may teach a course, but um, and where I've seen this in uh, on the tech side, developer friends of mine on the design side is one of the challenges is basically when you become a manager or director, the job is managing and directing. And so some of the things that you love about designing or coding, those go in and you work to coach. But I've also heard from folks this this fear of giving up either what they like or um, more specifically from coders feeling the world might leave them behind, yeah, right? That, point. you know, I'm not going to stay up on my skills. And so I've always found that interesting too, is like good balances of management and leadership. And sometimes organizations not recognizing that the job is actually leading. Uh, and then for, for those that are making that shift, which to your point, a lot of times in academia, it is almost like the Peter principle kind of thing is that people are going to oh, be promoted yeah. to the, the level of their incompetence, but None of them have been trained to be administrators, right? It's just like, we, we hope that you've been in the system long enough. So to your point about being slow moving, well, their, their playbook is based on what they experienced. And if they also, if they were basically, if they were raised by an abuser or somebody that's not very good in the way that they conduct themselves, but yeah. that's all they know. And so that's what they're going to take with them. I, I taught at a, a Christian, couple of Christian colleges uh, in, in my journey. And I remember one of them, we, there was a heated faculty meeting and this um, woman, I mean, elderly, wonderful, wonderful woman. Um, no, I'm not going to share her name because where the story is going, but she, you know, five feet small, demure, she comes over and she says, Justin, do you know how you get change in higher ed? I said how she goes one funeral at a time and she walked away. <laughs> She's just like Chinese grandma, right? And like yeah. it just it it was very, you know, the, I didn't expect. I mean, I would expect to hear that from someone who's cynical, not her, right? Like she yeah. meant it factually, and so it um, it's interesting. It's definitely an industry that is ripe for change and ripe for disruption. But we've seen, you know, I, I think we've seen it's really hard to disrupt, right? I mean, right. Uh, just you know, online education is, has thought like, oh, that's, that's the, there's, there is something more to a collegiate experience than um, courses, you know, and information transfer. There's just a lot more to it. And it's, it's been, it's been hard, hard to disrupt. Right. Um, but I, I, getting back to the leadership though, I do think it's, um, it's also, I, you know, I think there's been a lot of areas um, from my previous role that have translated quite well in the industry. I mean, I was doing a lot of selling to prospective students, their parents, donors, granting agencies. I was doing a lot of selling. Um, I was doing a lot of customer relations as students would complain or their parents would even complain, yeah. right? Those things certainly translate into business. I was doing a lot of hiring and a lot of teamwork. I think that partially translates. Hiring in a higher ed is a completely different ball of wax, right? you take a year to maybe hire one person, right? Like sometimes you just close the search. You don't even hire anyone. Failed search. Um, yeah. The teamwork, the teamwork. I mean, you, you know, there's the joke of in higher ed, you as a dean, you're herding cats, but it's legitimately that, right? You have to be able to motivate with no real, I mean, it's all carrot. There's no stick, right? Really. And so I think that's the part that maybe hasn't translated as much as well. Although, Certainly, as companies get younger, the the way to mo you know the ways to motivate a change, and I I do think you know uh, we've seen um, 
employees choosing companies that are more, you know, more democratically run, right? Like it's right. not, you know, it's not the net networks instead of hierarchies, things like that. So I, it's, it, but it has been interesting to look at like how that industry translates into the biotech industry where I work now. And there definitely are some similarities, but there, there's some differences too. So. Thanks. And I know we were, um, we're talking a little bit about when you, you felt like it was it, it was time to shift, but I, I wanted to get maybe a little bit more specific too on a lot of with with my guests. I like to cover like this notion of stuck and unstuck, and like if you ever find yourself stuck, whether that's like a specific problem or or, or bigger gnarlier things. But what is your technique for getting unstuck? I really like to think out loud if you can't tell. <laughs> so I, I, uh, I, I like to get into a group and talk things out. Um, I, you know, whether that's a group of coworkers, a group of, you know, the family members or just, or just friends and just, just think things through. Um, I'd like to say that it's, I mean, I, I do think that normally when I'm stuck, it's not that I'm personally stuck. I'm stuck in, and I'm part of a team. Right. And so I really, I really think talking it out, you know, really does help. And, um, you know, I, I'm a big proponent and like get as broad as you can for ideas. And so I like, I like having, you know, a lot of ideas like that personally, if there is, you know, if, if I'm stuck myself, I go outside Right. I mean, nature is wonderful. Yeah. Nature is beautiful. I go outside, I go for a walk, I go kayaking, I go for a hike, I, I shoot hoops with my oldest, you know, like it, it's definitely just getting out of that mindset. But if I can't come back in a better frame of mind, then I talk it out with people. I'm very, I very much like thinking and planning out loud. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, and then as you know, from, from the show, I also want to dig in on the notion of advice Right. And so sometimes it takes different forms, but sometimes it's you know, a mentor earlier in our life. And and may, maybe we didn't realize kind of how insightful or valuable what they were sharing with us until we get older or uh, it can take the form of, um, you know, what's advice we wish we would have received. Right. Like from Austin Kleon, still like an artist, he says, when we're giving advice, we're just talking to our younger self. So I was kind of curious from either or both, was there good advice you've received or, um, you know, is there advice you wish you would have had earlier in your journey? Yeah, I think it's, um, there's a lot of things I could, I could share on this, just, you know, having worked and and worked with students, right. And you, a lot of times you're giving advice, right. And so you can, (laughs) you know, you know, when things work and you know, when when things don't, you know, when things are helpful, but, um, you know, certainly the running tours and instead of running, running away, you know, yeah. there's a lot of students that would come in and I want to change my major. I'm fine. What do you want to change it to? I don't know. I just don't like this class. You know, and it's like, well, maybe you want to think it through a little bit more, you know, um, <clears throat> clearly I'm a big fan of experimentation and I wish I had done more of that as a, as a kid and how it relates to taking risks, but also to career, you know? you know, you know, again, I was in my forties before I thought about what I wanted to do with my life. Right. And that's not, I don't know if that's normal. It doesn't feel like that's normal. And so, um, I, in my previous role, uh, there was, again, there was a lot of startups and I would encourage my, my students as they graduated, like, if you have any interest in a startup, join one now, join it. Well, what if it fails? Well, who cares? You have great experience you're going to get another job, right? Like it's a wonderful time to figure out what you like and what you don't like when you don't have three kids and a mortgage and things like that. So, so I, I really, now I encourage a lot of risk taking when it's, you know, when the um, impacts are, you know, not permanent. Right. Yeah. And so I wish, I, I wish I had been a little bit more, more, you know, a little, a little more risk tolerant when I was younger for, for sure. And, uh, you know, wish to to be able to find, um, I think, think, you know, I can't remember which podcast, which guest it was, but they said that like, we tell, we tell kids to follow their passion, but like, who knows what they're at? Like, like we we have no idea. Right. So what you want to do is you want to try a lot of things, right. And see what, see what makes you tick. And, and, and especially in today's day and age where there's, it's highly unlikely that you're going to do the same job 30 years 
you know, it, it's, it's just right. very unlikely. And so what you want to do is you want to build up that risk tolerance that you, you know, and that confidence that you know that with adapting situations, you can change and you'll actually maybe even excel, right? And so I, so to, to sort of sum all that up, I would say, you know, to, 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 you know, to take risks and to be okay with those. Um, obviously we don't, it's not like we're throwing dice. They're rational risks right, that right. you've thought out through, but don't be afraid to fail because very few failures are permanent. So. Thank you. Yeah. And uh, also like just that parallel to the innovation space too is in it's, this is this is the hard part about working with innovation. If it, it's hard to sell this, but innovation is essentially de-risking the future, right? And that doesn't sound very sexy to organizations, no. but but that's what you're trying to do is de-risk, and it, and it's through different experiments and going wide and then narrowing in and and right. And we've talked about this. It's like thinking in bets. It's placing bets on the future and building portfolios rather than saying there's this there's this one future and. Uh, if it happens, great. If it doesn't, I'm I'm fucked, right? The, yeah, yeah. This idea that like you could choose wrong, right? Yeah. Like, like I mean, it. Any any Duke's book, any Duke's book was great. You know, yeah. I really enjoyed really enjoyed her as a guest. And um, but I mean, like even if you you know you go all in and you lose it, there's another game the next day, right? Yeah. Like I mean, you have there there are other there there are other other chances other chances for sure. There was a great book I read. I think it got it when I, you know, I was turned 40, designing your best life. I don't know if you've heard of it. I mean, no. I, you probably, yeah. it's out of the Stanford design school. Okay. And it yeah. was like taking, yeah, it's like taking design principles to figure out what to be when you grow up legitimately. And so I was, I bought it so I could use it with students. And then I was like, Oh, this is great for me. And I was like reading it through and it, it's, you know, it's, it, but it is that taking that innovation design thinking fail fast you know, dude, you know, you don't think it through, you, you, you take the, you, you do, you give some examples you do and you see if you like it and if it sticks, you know, and it, it was, um, as a foundational book, I, I was giving it out like, you know, candy there for a while. That's great. Yeah. I'm not and and thank you. Cause I'm not familiar with the book, but I do know that, that the, the class at Stamp too, that apparently is their most popular yeah. undergraduate class now. Yeah, and so now I think they've got it's, it's like a whole series of books now that came out of it. But it was um, we used to so we had students who were, it was a wonderful feature of our college. Where students were required to do three internships, and the senior internship, the one they did their senior year, they worked full time Monday through Thursday for a semester. It was it, the experience was just so great, and so we had a class that they would come in on Friday. And I taught it every every, yeah. you know, every year. I loved it, and we would go through this book. And so many of them said, "Why didn't we do this freshman year?" You know, I mean, they liked that they were doing it then, but it's like if I could have even been thinking about this earlier and earlier, because you know, when you're in high school, it's like, "Well, you're going to be a doctor, or a lawyer." Or a, I mean, there's no way you could have predicted you would be doing what you're doing now in at east high school there's just no way well right? and even yeah this is one of the things 10 I tried years to, ago <laughs> and even when i was at iowa right the uh the internet as a backbone existed but the idea of web and then the idea of web designers yeah. those those weren't just and you you have you have guidance counselors who are doing their best but they're, they're looking at old data right i mean all feedback is delayed they're looking yeah. at basically late uh, bureau of labor statistic positions Right. And it's, it's, you see it in coding is like, what, what new languages get developed, even in the time somebody starts as a freshman and they leave as a senior, it's so hard. Like, and, and yeah. So to me, that's like a big argument for the humanities. It, it's not, it's not what to think it's how to think Yeah, absolutely. so that you can make sense of, of these changing kind of landscapes. Well, and those jobs, those, those Bureau of Labor Statistics, those jobs are so narrow. And they've, in essence, they've almost defined them as technical competencies that we probably will be able to automate at some point away. Right. And so it's like, you have to, I, I, I really like that book. It, it, it had, you know, innovative design thinking, iter, you know, iterating yep. on, on your life, right. Having these conversations is almost like the I-Corps where you build, you know, you build a product and it's this NSF I-Corps plant uh, uh, grant you, or program, you build a product 
and then you talk to a hundred customers in a hundred days, right. To get yep. their feedback. And so that it's in essence doing that with your own life, right. You have all these conversations with, with people, you know, you, you talk to someone who, who you respect and you're like, I want to do what you do. And, uh, what, what do you recommend? Well, go cook in Spain for a year. You know, like you just getting, but getting, getting that feedback is extraordinarily useful rather than just thinking about it or thinking about, you know, talking it out with your parents who again, have 20 year old bureau labors. Right, or whatever. Right. So, so I definitely think about, you know, again, it was useful in my own life, but now raising three, three daughters and, you know, in, into, you know, mine are 12, nine and five into the changing world. And, what that's going to look like for them, you know, it's dad, why do you talk about the humanities so much when you're a biochemist? Like, they're the future. They're, they're the, they're the, they're the past and they're the future. They're, you know, trust me. You know? So. Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, Cause I don't know if I had shared this with you a, f- uh, a few years ago, a, a really in-depth research project that I was doing was uh, just related to um, basically education and career. And the more, research I was doing with parents and students, especially making that leap from high school to either like a four-year college, a two-year JUCO technical, or just in the workforce, the biggest things about school that were frightening both parents and and students is they felt like they couldn't make the wrong decision. There's a pressure, like, I don't want to make the wrong decision. And again, these, these are 17 and 18 year olds and they're, they're feeling pressure and granted college is so expensive, right? Uh, so when you're talking about college expense, you're talking about time, they get nervous that are they get, like, are they going to add a fifth year? Um, but anyways, it was like, yeah, how do we reduce that one? There isn't a right or wrong decision yeah. early on. How do you explore? How do you learn? And then how can you see how these patterns help you better understand potential goodness of fit? And where are the systems that are helping people with that? That's where I think there's a huge opportunity in, in basically college career space is just how do you get people more comfortable with understanding goodness of fit and opportunities rather than feeling like uh, I can't make, I can't make the wrong decision or, you know, like how weird is it that you make a a 17 or an 18 year old declare a major, right? And and this is what you're going to do for four years. And, and, and as you know, being, you know, being, you know, with, with your wife and her role and being connected yeah. to colleges, like it's like, it is really hard to get courses into a curriculum because it's like, what are you going to take out then? And I need these 72 classes in math because my grad, they're not going to be, you know, they're not going to be prepared if they don't take three years of calculus. Right. And I mean, in some sense you, you get that, but in the other sense, it's like, they're not, you know, like how much, how much of that exact lesson is going to be used. We want to teach them how to think, how to, how to be curious. And, and I, I would talk to parents and, you know, and it's like, you know, you hear Facebook, Google, Amazon, whatever, and you want me to pay for a class where they read Homer. Yeah, I do. I actually do. I actually do. And, and it's going to make them even more hireable in the future. You just have to trust me. Right. And it, it, it was really hard to get across. And again, I was this biochemist trying to get that wasn't the right spokesman, but it, it really, you know, and Nassim, if you read any of Talib's books, he talks about this too, how, you know, um, you know, reading the classics is a really strong education, right? The human condition hasn't changed all that much. There's been new technological resources and we focus on those and technological solutions. And so we focus on, we need our kids to be able to graduate and get a career making those solutions. But it's- I'm with you. I mean, as as you're saying that I'm thinking too, is in the human, you know, like thinking about old old computer networks, right? And the different layers and like, yeah, the presentation layer has changed a lot on the human condition, but below the presentation layer, it really hasn't, right? It's, It's the way we've stylized the problems, the challenges, go back to like the quests, you know, the big questions yes. we're trying to answer. Those haven't changed. And what, what you're saying too, is uh, a couple of folks that I've talked to in the pat on the podcast on leadership, like Ed, both Ed Hess and uh, Jackie Pelland, they've both like, one of the things I shared is the weird thing is, as humans, we we've actually known like good leadership principles for thousands of years it's like each generation kind of forgets it. 
Right. But yeah, to your, to your point, the human condition, the human needs, uh, those those principles, right? If we stick to principles, you know, because there are no best practices in complex systems, but as a complex adapt, we, we have general principles. We just kind of yeah. fail to remember how to use those. Yeah, we think that the newer solution is going to be, this is where Taleb's great. He's like, if a book yeah. has been, you know, I, I'm not afraid. I, I don't want really care about reading a book unless it's 50 years old. If it's 50 years old, I know it's going to be popular for another 50. Like he, he's, he's just fascinating. He's like, you know, and um, it, yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely, we, we, we're, you know, we're, we're, we have a, a passion for the new, you know, and again, I'm in a technology business, so I'm not against that, right, you know, right. but at the same time, you know, it doesn't mean that we need to, <laughs> that we need to, to ignore, ignore the past and, and what can be gained from that. And I mean, I think it'll be really interesting to sort of see what the new, you know, sort of post social media culture, you know, will look like, right. I'm, I'm really fascinated, you know, like I, I, I just remember like tweeting out like Twitter, but you only get one tweet a month or like Facebook, but you only get one post, like just that sort of more long form, you know, deliberative, slow thinking, um, and there's a lot of wisdom there. I mean, if you had all a month to sit and think about a problem because you didn't have all these meetings, I mean, there's, you think we can't gain from those wisdom, you know? So yeah. it's, uh, I, I, I definitely am excited for, for where the future is going to take us there. Awesome. Justin, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. It was an absolute pleasure to, to have you on the show. Yeah, it was a blast to talk to you. Hopefully there's something useful in all of that and uh, go Hawks. Go Hawks.